0: Welcome to the Bowhunter Podcast, your home for all things bow hunting related. Now, here's your host, Jan Segato. What's going on, Bowhunter Nation? Welcome to episode ten of the Bowhunter Podcast. In this episode, we stay right here in Illinois with Alan Yates of Chicago. But before we get started, I want to thank HuntReminder.com for sponsoring this episode. If you're anything like me, hunting may be your passion but the trials of everyday life may leave you empty handed. If you miss an application deadline hunt reminder, notifies you of application deadlines specific to the states and animals of your choosing search for potential tags, select your species and get reminders via text and or email when application periods open and right before they close with a timely application submission, you'll be able to increase your odds at drawing the hunting permit. You've always wanted. Get your first reminder free by using B-W-H-N-T-R when you check out at HuntReminder.com. In episode six, we sat down with Cliff Cadet and talked about his journey to the hunt. As promised, I followed up with Alan Yates, who started the Journey to the Hunt series on Instagram with Cliff. Alan has continued documenting his journey to the hunt and brings on weekly guests on Instagram Live to talk about the journey. Since recording this episode, Alan drove down to the southern part of Illinois, and we spent an awesome day in the Shawnee National Forest shooting some 3D archery. Because I think it's important to gain these insights and perspectives of new hunters, I wanted to share this conversation that Alan and I had about his recent Texas hog hunt. There are a few areas during the recording where the audio quality got rough, but I think you'll thoroughly enjoy. Let's get into it. All right, Alan Yates on the show. What's going on, Alan? Uh, not much, man. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it, man. Humbled. Pleasure's mine, dude. I've been following you forever. Finally got acquainted with you a couple months ago. We became buddies. We got some big plans in store. For our listeners that haven't followed you, I know you got a big story on where you came from, where you've been, and where you're going. So let's start that off with how and why did you start bow hunting? Kind of what lit that fire for you?
1: Yeah, right. So, you know, I'm a uh, a little bit older, I'm a, I'm 38, you know, I'm a husband. Uh, I got two kids, I'm about to put a kid through college and what have you, but at the end of the day, you know, bow hunting has been um, a lifelong dream. It's something that where most kids kind of woke up on Saturday watching that Saturday morning cartoons and so did I, but at the same time, I would flip back and forth to the Sportsman channel to all the Saturday morning hunting shows and knew every time that I saw someone standing there with a bow that, you know, that was something I could do. I, I, I genuinely thought that. And, um, you know, life goes on and, you know, things happen, you know, and life takes time. But um, at 38 years old, I decided to buy a bow. And, um, you know, my kids are a little bit older. So it gives me a little bit more time to be able to venture out more. So I bought a bow at 38. And uh, I live in Chicago. So living in the city is a little bit different. Here I am now, I'm 38 with the bow. Uh, been on a couple couple of hunts, if you want to call it that. I've definitely traveled a little bit. So, but I'm ready to figure out what it takes to become a bow hunter.
0: Yeah, for sure. So part of what um, introduced me to you was my interview with Cliff Cadet, and when you guys were doing Journey to the Hunt together. So Cliff has moved on; he's doing his own thing now. And your Journey to the Hunt, your baby. Tell me about Journey to the Hunt. Kind of what what inspired that, and where you're going with it.
1: So Journey to the Hunt was originally, uh, exactly as it sounds, right? So we're new, Cliff and I were beginner bow hunters, uh, what Cliff and I used to call it aspiring bow hunters, how to figure out, uh, what it would take to become what those guys are on TV to what it takes in in reality to become that. So Journey to the Hunt was designed to learn what it would take to be a bow hunter. It was. Asking the questions, the terminology, um, just learning from different bow hunters, guys who have been doing this on uh, what it took from them to learn about their bow, learn about their their harvest, learn about uh, the aftermath of taking an animal, and it was all about the the beginning to the end journey of the hunt, right? Because the hunt isn't just Taking a shot. Right. The hunting is now that we talked about it and you and I discussed and you put a good post out today. Right. Was setting up the tree stands. Right. Putting the food plots in.
0: Yeah, for sure. Figuring
1: out the Right. All the all the before and the afters is part of the hunt. But that's also part of your journey. Right. So your journey starts wherever you want it to. And, you know, And what I realized was it's an all year effect. For most people who love conservation and most people who've been doing the hunting, this is an all year thing. So Journey to the Hunt became Cliff and I are trying to figure out as, as new and aspiring bow hunters how to get into bow hunting the right way with learning the conservation aspects and terminology and things. So we decided to put a six part mini-series together, which when you interviewed Cliff at that particular point was, I believe, either just starting or just about to start mm-hmm. and we decided that six weeks was going to be what we decided to learn as much as we could from as many people as we could about bow hunting. Well, now after that, uh, Cliff has gone on to do his, his own thing. Um, he's got his own show on Tuesday nights, very successfully. He's doing basically the same thing. And I stayed with journey to the hunt, trying to figure out what guys like you and others do to get yourself prepped for the hunt.
0: Yeah, for that sure. That was what It was, I mean, yeah? I, I I was in that own situation myself, you know, not too long ago, um, five or six years, you know, there's a learning curve and a lot of people don't realize that, or they take it for granted because they were raised in that hunting environment and that hunting family. And, you know, it was just passed down from generation to generation. I didn't look for to social media at first. I did a lot of research. I bought a few books and then as I went on, I realized how much content there was on social media. Um, and some of it was worth learning from. Earlier, you mentioned you started Journey to the Hunt so you could be like the guys you saw on TV. A- at any point, did you decide that you didn't want to be like the guys you saw on TV and you kind of wanted to do something a little different?
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a really good question, actually. Um, yeah, so part of that answer is almost immediately, like instantly, you know, because uh, as soon as you get out into the woods, you realize that nothing happens that fast at all. And nothing happens the way you want it to. And the wild animals are going to react the way that they want to, not the way you want them to. So mm-hmm. yeah, every there's time. a lot that goes into it. Yeah
0: every, yeah. every time, every, time.
1: Every, <laughs> every single time.
0: But just like you said, they're wild animals and unless everything lines up just right, they're not going to be there when you expect it. And a lot of times in my experience, you know, I, I've, kind of tried to learn how these deer move in particular areas and then when I'm actually in the stand they come from a totally different area than than I've you know watched them on camera or just seen them moving and they catch me off guard so um definitely a difference between real life hunting and what you see on a screen um you know there's a few uh exceptions to that there's a f- there's a quite a few good shows especially recently I think a lot more people are trying to come with a genuine approach and show their successes and their failures. um, as opposed to what we used to see on TV when we were kids or growing up with the hunting DVDs. So that being said, you did actually get to experience your first hunt recently. And, um, you went down to Texas and hunted with Colin Cottrell. Tell me about how you prepped for that hunt. Since you got your bow, what did you do to get yourself prepared to go to Texas and hunt wild hogs?
1: I run, lift, and shoot. So I don't mean to use that hashtag, but at the end of the day, that's that ended up being what it was. I was told by a lot of people, yourself included, um, plus amongst a lot of other people, that in order to prep for a real hunt, you got to get your heart rate up. All right, you got to understand what it's like to be in that situation you know, know what it's like to be at at full draw with heart rate going and anticipation, anxiety, all of that, you know, uh, uh, developed inside of that, being able to take a shot in that moment. So uh, Colin and I had spoke about wanting to hog hunt. Uh, we, we booked the trip. Oh, I ended up booking the trip through him, realized that, you know, it's probably going to be a good hunt for me to start with, not so much pressure as, as it was to be dare. You know, with dare, you can end up just having like your one opportunity. But if you go with hogs, you can have several opportunities or it's a little bit wider of a, of a uh, expansion of an opportunity, right? So mm-hmm. we went down there. I did a lot of shooting. I did a lot of running. Um, I actually, before I did this, I weighed about 255, almost 260 pounds. So in about a month, month and a half, I dropped down to 215. Did a lot of running, did a lot of shooting, did a lot of prepping, uh, high heat situations. And I got myself ready to go to Texas and shoot some hogs, which to the point that you just made, that even though as much as you prep, the animals cannot come from where you expect them to come from. Well, first day that we sat in the blind down in Texas, after all the running, after all the lifting, after all the shooting, after all the things that went with you know the preparation of the hunt, and I bought the cooler everything that came right i posted i posted photos of the trams everything worked out right there was a huge start to tell we well, come to find out the first day we went set guess what these wild animals did came from the complete opposite direction that the trail cam showed for the last 2 months on that one particular day and it just goes to show you that all the work that you put in is worth it it's necessary but you cannot rely on it. You have to be able to be physically capable. You have to be able to be mentally withstand the hunt. You got to be able to be in the situation that you want to. You got to be prepped for the hunt. But it just goes to show you that you have to be prepared for anything. Is what I learned on my first hunt because the trail cam showed one thing: we prepared, we studied, we prepared, and we went over it twice in the third time. And the morning of. They came from the opposite way. So what do you do at that point? Do you panic? Do you do you do you not make a move because you didn't prepare for that? No, of course you don't. You make a move towards what the animal gave you the opportunity for, right? But yeah, it, it just goes to show you as a new hunter, as someone who's just getting into it, as someone who is taught how to prepare for a certain type of hunt, that hunting just doesn't go the way you want it to. It doesn't. There's so many variables that come with it. And, And even as much as you prep for it, the minute you're in it, just like that, gone, done, flip of a coin, it can flip the whole script on you.
0: I know that you were, inevitably, you were preparing yourself for that Texas hunt because that was your, you know, that was your, the first thing you had lined up. That was your immediate goal. But ultimately, what you were doing, you were preparing yourself as a hunter long term also. And I think that's what's most important because we can, be as prepared as we possibly can have everything ready. Like you said, you, you shot, you trained, you did some heart rate training, heart rate shooting. You even went as far as buying a freezer. If I'm, if I remember right, to put some of this game in <laughs> Yep. and it, yep. it, and it's a little upsetting whenever you, you know, make your trip and you come back empty handed, but at the same time that those skills that you honed in, during your training are going to take you further as a hunter further down the road. Um, and I think that's important for anybody to know that's, that's new getting into hunting. It's that you put all this work in and you go on that first hunt and maybe you do come up empty handed, maybe you're successful, but either way, don't get discouraged because if I added, like I said, I've only been hunting for five or six years, but if I added up all the times that I actually went out into the field, trying to harvest an animal compared to when I actually did harvest an animal. It's probably, I'm just rough guessing, but it's probably 15% of the time where I actually harvested an animal. So you got to think about 85% of the time I came back empty handed. Now, probably 60% of those times I saw animals and my, the thing I always keep in my head is if I'm seeing deer, because that's what I mainly hunt, then it's a successful hunt. Whether I get to take a shot, whether I get to, whether they come in range or whatever the reason being why I don't shoot, shoot that animal. The fact that they're there and I'm there means I'm doing something right. So, uh, I always take those hunts as successful. Anytime I go out and I can learn like, you know, maybe I, maybe I'm in a new stand location and I see these deer moving the way I didn't expect them to. I can make some minor adjustments to be ready for the next time they come in because I learned, Because, and it's just like, you know, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago in the digital campfire, we were on a video call. And I think uh, if you had to pick three words to describe that call, it was boots on ground. And, you know, it doesn't matter how much, how many maps we look at or how many uh, different, you know, articles we read online. Until you go out there and you experience it firsthand, you really don't know how you're going to react to these animals. You really don't know how these animals are going to react to you more like it. I think it's awesome that you got to go to Texas and experience that for yourself. Um, I know you had a lot of questions that I'm sure got answered on that trip. Yeah. Um, so what could you? What would you say some of the biggest takeaways or lessons are from that trip that you are going to keep as a hunter and go forward with? Speed.
1: If that makes any
0: sense, one word: speed.
1: The speed of animals, the speed of your reaction, the speed of how much you process and how fast you process it and it, you know at the end of the day when you see an animal no matter how many times you pull your arrow back in your driveway or in your 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 shooting club or your archery den or whatever it is right well when a wild animal is there like you only have a matter of seconds is what i realized like there's seconds if that to realize it because on my first day of sitting in texas and Again, trail cams for an extensive amount of time, nobody can argue this, showed hogs coming from left to right to the feeder, left to right to the feeder, for weeks and weeks and weeks on end, right? Here we are, first day of a Texas hog hunt, and here they come right side, not even right to left, straight down the right, <laughs> right side of the blind, couldn't even see. First, first time in history they came down that way, but guess what a wild animal did came from the opposite direction yeah so there goes your plans right so at that particular point it's how fast you can react to that how fast you can overcome how fast you can adapt again speed has a lot to do with hunting right so that happened so be it no big deal right so well i mean big deal but at the end of the day i'm learning that wow that happened really fast I didn't even get a chance to draw my bow by the time I saw and heard them and they left. Because by the time you understood the fact that they came from a different way that you weren't expecting them to, that just like that, stop finger, it was over. Just like that, right? So speed is what I realized.
0: Yeah. So you know what's funny is you mentioned speed, which you're absolutely right, because you have to be ready and aware of what's going on because you can easily miss the opportunity. And, you know, I've never hunted wild hog. Uh, I actually just last night was watching a video of some guys hunt wild hog and those suckers just are fidgety. They move around a lot. They don't sit still very much. They're, they're running around kind of in groups and so fast, it's kind of hard to pin them, you know, and deer move a lot different than hogs. Um, a lot of times, most of the time they move really slow and are super aware of their surroundings. And if they're in a group, it's tough to do any movement because you've got, you know, let's say you have eight or nine does. I mean, you've got 16 or 18 sets of eyeballs looking all over the place. And if you spook one doe, it's game over. So patience would be another thing, you know, and I know you were in a blind, so you had a lot more freedom to move move around, but if you're out there in the open in that deer stand and you see that deer coming in, you've got to think mentally, okay, where's the most likely route this guy's going to take? Because I need to start getting myself prepared physically in the stand, whether it's turning in my seat, standing up, drawing my bow even, because maybe once he gets in 20, 30, 20 yards, I won't be able to draw my bow or I'll, or he'll see me. So there's patience and just understanding, um, and speed also, you know, speed. There's lots of times whenever I thought the deer was going to go a different direction and he kind of veered away from me instead of toward me and I thought man I really should have instead of trying to get him at 20 yards I should have took the 30 yard shot but I wanted you know I wanted the more right. com- I wanted the more comfortable shot because I wanted just that obviously yes. like oh. most people you have more confidence that way and so I thought well he's the way he's coming in he, here in a minute he's going to be about 20 yards so I had I was standing I had my arrow knocked obviously I had my my release hooked all I had to do was draw and fire and I waited because I thought he was going to come closer, and, and he, then he didn't. He turned and kind of went away from me. And I thought, man, I should have took the opportunity when I had had it. But at the same time, you just don't know. I mean, you may sit there. I'll never forget one of my. It was one of my <laughs> funnest deer. Yeah, man. One of my funnest deer encounters ever. I was down in some timber, and there was a lot. There's a lot of uh, growth in it, and so it was really tough to know which way the deer were going to come from. And it was right on the edge of a a buck bedding. I was sitting out there, um, in the morning and they were coming off this field. And this one particular deer, he snuck up behind me and, you know, there's so many squirrels, you kind of get immune to all the sticks breaking and leaves ruffling, but those sounds were just distinct that it wasn't a squirrel. And I look over my right shoulder and about 15 to 20 yards away, there's a buck standing there staring at me. And so. I'm like, all right, my bow's hanging in the tree on my left side. I got the tree on my back and there's a buck looking at me 20 yards over my right shoulder. How in the heck am I going to make this happen? And we sat there for about 45 minutes. I mean, I was moving like really every two or three minutes, I might've moved an inch trying to get to my bow. And I was being as still as I could, you know, I was trying to keep my eyes on the deer and I. I never did spook him away. I never did spook him away, but I got, by the time I got my bow turned back around the tree where I could actually draw and possibly take a shot, he'd already moved on up the hill behind me and there was just too much brush to shoot through. It was about a 45 minute encounter that I'll never forget, you know? And it's those times that I, that you spend with those animals that make you just want it. You just want it. You just want want to go back out there. You just want to. You just want to experience those those things. Cause at that point it's a game of chess. At that point it's okay, what's the next move? And it's so such minuscule moves. And I think any deer hunter is going to be able to relate to this. You know, if you're hunting out there in a stand, you're 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 pinpointed. You know, you got yeah, eyeballs absolutely. on you. And sometimes it's scent and they may walk a different way and catch your scent trail and kind of book it out of there, not knowing where you're at, just knowing you're there. But when you're down there and they're not scenting you. And you're trying to make those minor movements to be able to take the shot. And it doesn't, it's usually not a two or three minute thing. It's usually a 10, 15, 20, 30 minute thing. It's some pretty fun stuff.
1: I had that situation. So when we were in Texas, you can see where Colin and I were sitting. And we had one come in and you couldn't hear him, couldn't smell him, couldn't hear him. He came in all on his own. And by the time Colin had seen him, To where he come walking in, you know, this was a matter of like 16. The video shows 16 seconds. And by the time I draw my bow to actually draw on him was about three seconds. So there's like 13 seconds in between. But nonetheless, by the time this big ass animal came in, you know, there's a lot of excitement. And when they are sniffing you out and they know that you're there, but they don't know where you are, they're trying to pinpoint you. There's a lot that goes on. And that, and, I've seen deer blow and, and, and the does blow and they know that you're there, but they can't figure out where you are. Right. And the thing about deer is like they'll wait a second to try to figure out what direction you're coming from or which direction they're sniffing you out from so that they know which way to react to. Right. Right. The, the thing about hogs is they don't care which way they smell you from. <laughs> they smell you and they just go. They're gone. They could <laughs> run They could run into you. They can run away from you. It don't matter. The, the hogs, because they move with their with their nose down, They all of a sudden, here comes this big hog. So uh, so Carl and I are sitting in the blind, a little bit jumping back and forth. But Carl and I are sitting in the blind, here comes a big hog. right? I didn't know it at the time. I hear pigs are coming, pigs are coming, and coming to find out it was a big hog. But he came with his nose down. He had no idea. As soon as he put his nose up, he took two or three sniffs, and he started j- jumping back and forth. He didn't. He didn't sit there and wait to nose where it was to react to which way he had to leave. Yeah. No, he put his nose up in the air, realized something was wrong, and started being like a like a schizo, just jumping all over the place. He didn't care where he was going. Right. So there's a difference between like hog and deer. A deer, when they sent you, they'll wait a second. You might have that extra opportunity to still be able to take a shot. A hog, it ain't happening. When a hog sends you, he's gone. Peace. See you later. It just ain't happening.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely two different animals, you know, and I, I can't wait to go on a hog hunt someday and experience that firsthand. Um, a lot of people when they're, hunt, when they hunt deer, especially if a deer's up and moving pretty quick by them and they're in range and got a good shot, they'll, they'll kind of give themselves away to stop that deer. Cause like you said, they stop, they yeah. put the brakes on and they try to figure out what's going on before they make their next move. So you'll, especially yeah. in a lot of videos, you'll see these guys kind of give the little man, kind of stop, that, <laughs> stop yes. that deer, and then yes. within a second they're taking the shot. You know,
1: I realized that because C- Colin and I was sitting in the blind, and we saw deer and we saw hogs, right? And when the hogs came in, they were skitzy. They they were just they jumped all over the doggone place. Very rarely stood still. The deer they would come in right to the feed. And, and you know big bucks right these are eight and ten point bucks these are going to be shooters this year yeah you know and, and they didn't know we were there and when they came in even when they started to realize that something was wrong they didn't jump they didn't react they studied mm-hmm. and just in watching just in learning that aspect like i didn't get a chance to harvest anything my buddy kevin did right but harvesting is how you look at it right did you harvest the information or did you harvest meat Right, me. I harvested information because I learned that like a hog and a deer, they're not even in the same spectrum. You can't even go to the same library to understand them, right? But I, I got a chance to actually watch wild, non-preserve because I live in Chicago. There's a lot of preserved Mm deer, right? I got a chance to watch wild bucks, young age, growing two and a half, three and a half year old bucks who are growing in their in their bachelor groups, skitsy. You know, they're not coming into these areas, right? I got a chance to watch how they react. And they don't necessarily react. They study. So for me as a new hunter, how cool was it to be able to see wild bucks? Not does, not fawns, bucks. What we all want, what we all watch Saturday morning hunting shows to be like, right? They all shot the big buck, right? Right. It's all about the buck, right? It's all about the buck. doesn't matter what your your refrigerator bills which should be does and everything else but the story is about the buck Mm -hmm. right so we i got a chance to watch these guys and guess what they don't react they study they methodically move in they methodically move out so if you're not out there with boots on ground like we just talked about the three words that came out of the digital campfire right if we don't put boots on the ground and we continue this to be a social media campaign or if we continue just to put Pictures up because we saw somebody else do it. You're not going to be a hunter. A hunter has to know how these animals move. Are they going to react or are they going to study you? They're going to, you know, are they going to smell you? Or are they going to blow you? Are you going to be able to come back tomorrow because you were blown, but weren't like really like uh, your spot wasn't given up? Oh, oh, was your spot blown and given up by that by that doe? And now, what's your second move? What's your second move in the first week of November, right? Did you study for that? Did you know that that was going to be a possibility? That's what I learned by going to Texas. Was how do you study how to be a a a good hunter? What's your next step when you get called out? Because in Texas, I went for three days. I was sniffed out three days by deer and by hog. Yeah, three days, both sides. What do you do at that point? You've got to be able to know how to make your next step.
0: So going forward, you're going forward from the Texas hunt. It's the end of July. We're going into August. Yes, sir. Two months away from Illinois deer season. What's the plan?
1: So the plan is uh, IREP. Illinois yes. has the Illinois Recreation Access Program, which allows uh, new hunters of all ages, of all genres, it doesn't matter who you are, but it allows uh, new hunters uh, accessibility to private land owners who either don't hunt who or who have a management problem. And what that allows you is a two week program to be able to set yourself up on private land and hunt as if you were a private land owner with Dare Who are on your property. There's that. I put in my application in, fingers crossed. Let's hope because that's going to be my very first diy my home state illinois hunt that's awesome if that doesn't work the next thing on the ballot is you jan my friend you have yourself a little bit of land down south where i've been offered by you to come down and take the uh take the opportunity to come hunt with you and and figure out from a seasoned bow hunter, what it's like to get up in a stand on some private land in hunt southern Illinois, which hunting my own state at any given cost, north, south, east, or west is, is a blessing.
0: I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm thrilled. I cannot wait. Um, and I don't know if I'm seasoned, but in my five or six years, I've put a lot of time in a stand. Um, I heard Guy over at Western Contours interviewing somebody, uh just a few weeks ago and they talked about some of these guys only being able to hunt, you know, two to five, six times a season. And I thought, man, if I'm, if I'm going at that rate of someone with 20 years doing that, I've got already about 30 years under my belt because I put in (laughs) at least a month worth, if not a month and a half, two months in the stand. So, um, got to thank my wife for letting me do that in the, in the fall and winter. But, uh, It sounds like you got a lot of stuff going for you, man. Uh, I'm glad that you got to experience that hunt this month. Um, like you said, you did harvest something, you harvested information. And I think that's something you're going to be able to keep with you, you know, the rest of your hunting career and, and learn from and add to it. And I think ultimately, even if you would have harvested an animal, the most successful thing you're going to walk away from that hunt is the experience. Um, and the IRAP program sounds promising. I don't know how many people apply for that each year, but, uh, hopefully being a new hunter, you get kind of first dibs at that. I did read up on it a little bit when you mentioned it to me earlier this month. So I really hope you get a chance to do that. Cause those DIY hunts, um, are great. You know, I, I did my first few hunts with some friends and then once I was kind of out there on my own, it, there's a difference, you know, you're not kind of looking over at your buddy. Hey, what do I do now? So I think that's going to be a huge advantage. Of you kind of going to the next level in your hunting career. Um, right before we wrap this up. I think up, it's necessary. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right before we wrap this up, uh, do you want to plug any social media links? Uh, your Instagram? What do you got going on there?
1: I, I mean, everybody knows me. I'm only on Instagram, really. Alan, I think it's Alan underscore Yates. I plug my own self too much. Two underscores. But Alan underscore
0: Yates? Two underscores. I had to figure that out the hard way. I shared you shared you with somebody and i tagged oh. the wrong alan yates with one underscore so you got alan underscore underscore yates and there will be a link in the description oh. in the show notes if anybody wants to go check you out
1: so i i appreciate the the plug i obviously it goes to show you i don't plug myself enough because i didn't even know that had that's two right underscores. man i got you so i appreciate that and uh yeah I, i'm i'm all about learning i live in illinois i'm all about learning illinois hunting and, uh, my goal on social media is to travel and, uh, and, and to hunt, to meet as many people as I can, to learn from as many experiences as I can from, you know, doing what we all love and that's hunting and harvesting. And, you know, Jan, thank you for the opportunity for putting me on here and, and you and I are going to get a chance to hunt in November, super stoked about it. Um, you know, can't wait for it. And yeah, I'm on Instagram and this is it guys. um. I am who I am. You I know, appreciate thank you very you much on. for the opportunity.
0: Thanks for getting on here with me. Pleasure yes, is mine, thank brother. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe. For more information and show notes, head on over to BWHNTR.com.